Hello everybody, welcome to the How Train Talks podcast station. My name is Vuem Gedezi, your host for the podcast talks. Today we have in studio with us Mr. Jack van der Merve, who is the CEO of the How Train Management Agency. He's going to be talking to us about the planned How Train extensions and expansions project. Jack, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're going to talk about, firstly, just a little bit of history. Your career in, in public transport experiences and your involvement with the Gau Train. Can you give us that bit of a background and story? I received a bursary from government to study engineering mm-hmm. and uh, what is quite interesting, they gave me 400 rand for my first year, 400 rand for my second year, 600 rand for my third year and 600 rand for my fourth year. So they gave me 2,000 rand yeah. where I stayed in the hostel, I paid all my books, all my study for 2,000 rand. So this covered all those this costs? This covered everything. I actually had some money left over. Wow. And uh, I started working for government in uh, June of 1971. So I've, I've worked uh, 46 years for the 2,000 rand they gave me. So it's quite a nice return on yeah. investment. <laughs> so I started off um, in the Transvaal Roads Department. Yes. Uh, when I started working, uh, we were busy with the PWV transportation study. Yeah. So I was seconded to the CSR, so I spent the first three years of my life at the CSR where we modelled the traffic and the transport needs of the province and we developed the PWE network, which yes. is a network for, 20, for 1975, 1985, mm. 2000 and 2015. Mm. Um, I then went through the normal training and yes. uh, in uh, 94, when the new government came in, they appointed strategic management teams that had to look at creating the new departments, writing legislation, policy. Yes. That. So I was heading up the team that looked at the department of then um, roads and transport mm. uh, for Gauteng. I worked in a team and it was quite interesting. Uh, part of my team was Nazir Ali and Monligu Gubeli who ended up being the mayor of, of Ikerulene. Of yes. So uh, we worked very hard and uh, after 13 months, mm. our proposal was accepted mm. and we started the, the new department. So uh, I've been in, in, in roads and transport all my life. Yeah. But uh, in 97, I accompanied the then Premier of Gauteng, Tokyo Sekole, to Germany, where yes. he then said to the Germans, we had to buy a train and Jack van der Merwe is going to buy the train. So <laughs> that's when, uh, when the Gauteng started. Okay. We... Uh, in, in, in 99, when Shalowa became the, the premier, uh, we got a block of money from the Fiscal and Financial Committee. Yes. Uh, because of the census, they then discovered that we had two million more people than what they thought. Yeah. And with that, we the, the then um, executive committee decided to invest in a project called Blue IQ. Yeah. The idea of Blue IQ was to invest in long-term economic growth projects for the province, of which the Gautrain was one. Yeah. So I ran the Gautrain, and then in 2008, the Premier said, um, I must stop being Director General of the department, yeah. I must just focus fully on the train. So uh, okay. I've been in and out with, with public transport um, all my life. 
I'm currently the president of the UATP, which is a public transport association for Africa. Yes. And it, it, it's quite unique in the sense that it has operators, suppliers of, of rolling stock, suppliers of systems, consultants, uh, um, authorities, yes. the government in it. This is a, uh, our mother body is UITP, which is situated in Brussels, mm. and uh, they have 3,400 companies that belong to it, it's represented in uh, 94 countries. Mm. I'm the vice president for that, and I sit on the policy board. So I go to all the big cities yeah. <laughs> three times a year where we have uh, discussions and decide what public transport is doing yeah. in, in the country. Okay, that should have a, a lot of spin-offs for the country in terms of bringing back that knowledge and trends worldwide about where public transport is moving into. Yes. Now, what in your view has been the impact of the Gau train project on the province? Well, you know, it's a, it's a mega project, so it actually had quite a few, I think, groundbreaking impacts. The first one is that Gau train or no. The first thing is that public transport in our country is a motor force. It's seen as the, the mode of transport for the poor. Yes. And the poor just hope and pray to get enough money to buy a car so that they can clog up the system further. Um, in Europe and in Asia, public transport is a mode of choice. Mm. And I think Gautrain has actually done that. It's done that step of saying public transport is a mode of choice and it's actually the intelligent thing to do. Mm -hmm. What to me is a magic number is that currently 77% of our ridership are people who have changed the mode uh, from private car to, to, to car. So that's the one thing. The other one is that we, we really did a very complicated public transport uh, PPP project. It's the biggest in Africa. Yeah. Um, we've won 27 international awards yes. and uh, so it, it worked well. I think the, the fact that we could build it, um, we when we built the system, we worked on 65 sites simultaneously. Uh, we spent 3 million rand an hour. So every night I went to bed, we'd spend between 30 and 50 million rand. Mm. We did that for five years. So that worked well. And we're now running a system which is uh, running at a, a availability of 98.5 and higher percent yeah. and a, a punctuality of 99 and a half percent high so this is comparable to to anything in the world yeah and uh, perhaps a, a form of a benchmark in the country with the other forms of public transport yes you know um i went to 35 countries yes uh, and i went and said to them you've done a project like this what would you do differently? What are the lessons to be learned? Mm. And I always thought that if one day they would come to our country and ask me the same question, then then I'd know we've done something that, that could be done. We now have between three and four uh, international groups coming to us mm. on a monthly basis asking us exactly that, saying we are a developing country, we've embarked on such a high technology yeah. project, how did we do it, what are the lessons learned? We're going to talk about the lessons learned in, in the later part of the discussion, but to, to touch on the existence of the Gau train over the past 15, 16 years, and now there's talk of planned expansions and extensions on the system. Let's just start off first with the current operations and the capacity. In a nutshell, 
for the listeners, how are we faring in terms of capacity and providing that service to the communities? I, I think everything we did in Train was greenfields. It was new thing. You couldn't you couldn't uh, phone a friend and ask him because they, yeah. it hadn't been done before. So we we modelled the ridership. We we had a stated preference model where we had the uh, ME3 model, which we later upgraded to ME4 model, that did a traffic demand model. Yeah. And uh, we modeled what we thought would, would happen. Yeah. And our modeling showed that there would be a, a big demand for people moving from Tswane to Madrand, and then again from Madrand to Johannesburg. So they would be shorter trips. Yeah. And that meant that you could sell a seat more than once. Yeah. Um, there was going to be a very big development in Madrid called Zonkaziswe, and for various reasons that didn't happen. Yeah. And uh, what we found is that the trip length is much longer than would be thought. Yeah. So people would like to get on the train in Tswane and then move all the way to Johannesburg. Now, that has created um, quite a capacity constraint during peak hours. Yeah. So we are transporting about 63,000 passengers per day, mm-hmm. and then we are transporting um, about 22,000, 23,000 passengers per day on the buses. Yeah. Um, but the, it's, it's very concentrated um, in the peak. Uh, we've tweaked the system. Uh, what we do is that during peak, we add two trains together. So a train is four carriages. In the peak, we have eight carriages. Um, we've reduced the headway to 10 minutes between trains. Yeah. And... Uh, we are taking out one row of seat to make more standing room. So there are a lot of things we've done, but at the moment mm. we need more trains. Currently we have 96 um, carriages yeah. and we need another 48. So we're going to um, increase our fleet size by 50%. Okay. Uh, what What is interesting about that project is that we have already secured the money from the DBSA. Okay. They've uh, given us, well, They've made funding available, available for yeah. a billion rand. Yeah. We have to pay it back. Mm. But uh, we will then, and, and currently we're in a process of uh, RFP, the request for proposal process. Yeah. Uh, we have shortlisted three bidding companies um, that could supply the rolling stock. Mm. And uh, we will, through 2017, get in the bids do the evaluation, do the negotiations, mm. and we hope to uh, appoint a preferred bidder by November of this year. Okay. And is there any impact that this buying of new real stock will have on the current operations? Yes, well, um, it would give us the flexibility of running even shorter headways, so we could go down to six-minute headways, and it will give us the ability to, to run more trains. We are going to introduce um, trains that run short cycles. At the moment, our trains, um, this uh, north-south routes, yes. run from Hatfield to Pretoria to Centurion, all the way to Sandton, Rosebank, and then Park. But the the biggest demand is from Centurion, Madrid, Marlborough, up to Sandton. So we will run in between trains that will stop at uh, Centurion, turn around and then go to Santon and then turn around. So yeah. we'll have shorter trip trains running in between the longer trip trains. Yeah. And that would increase our capacity quite considerably. So if we move on to the extensions now of the system, 
how, if you can just take us through how the planned extensions impact the greater Gauteng city region. Right, what, what is quite interesting, you know, if you plan for 20, 30, 40 years in advance, mm. you plan it and that's the end of that. Um, and if you're still in that field, you'll maybe see the results of it. Um, three years ago, MEC Vardy said to me, go and do the PWV study again, so redo it. Yeah. But this time, look at all the transport modes, not just roads. So I headed up a team that did the integrated transport master plan for the next 25 years. Mm. And uh, what we did, if you do transport planning, there's really three things that you have to do. You have to say, what will happen to the population? How will they grow? Secondly, where would they work? What type of work opportunities would there be? Yeah. And then thirdly, where will they stay? Yes. And if you have that, then you can model the home work trip and the work home trip and the work to work trip mm. and business to leisure, home to school trips. And with this, in this ME4 model, you can then uh, predict what the transport's going to be. So we, we did the, the complete set of modelings yeah. and uh, we found that our predictions for 2037 is a population of 18.6 million people. In the province. In the province. And we could not fit them into the existing land use that mm. there is. So we are saying we must densify the land use between Ikaruleni, mm. Johannesburg, Lanceria, and Tuani. So in that area, we have to look at 50, 60, 70 housing units per hectare. Mm. Once that is done, then how do we move the people? Yeah. And the moment you have such a heavy concentration of people, heavy rail is the, is the answer. So in the ITMP 25, we recommended that there should be a, a line servicing that okay. and that line would run um, in our province the roads run all north south or east west mm. so there's a grid of freeways we said the train should run 45 degrees so we would start in the east of Pretoria and Mamalodi yeah. then run 45 degrees past the SA Mint mm. past the development bank and go to the west of Johannesburg to um, Naledi in, 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 in Soweto and then we'd link Lanceria into Randburg, into Santon, mm. and then at the airport take the line from the airport down to Boxburg, mm. and then from Park Station take the line underneath the city to the M2. Mm. So that was the recommendation, and that was approved by our Executive Council, by the Premier and, and the MECs. So uh, when that was done, MEC Bardi said, do a feasibility study yes. for that. So what we did is we registered it as a PPP project with National Treasury and we appointed transaction advisors and they have now completed this feasibility study. Yeah. And in terms of the feasibility study completion, where to from here? What are the, what will be the next steps? Well, we, public-private partnerships in South Africa is controlled uh, by the Public Finance Management Act. So the PFMA determines what the process is, and they have a Schedule 16 that sets it out. Now, Schedule 16 says you have to prove feasibility, which then gives you Treasury Authorization 1. Yeah. Then you have to draw up the tender documents, and that has to reflect your feasibility. So then they give you um, TA2A, yeah. and then you go out on tender for an RFP. When it comes back and the RFP reflects the feasibility, you get 
TA2B. Yeah. Then you start the negotiations, and if you negotiate a contract which again reflects the feasibility, mm. you get TA3, and there you can sign the contract and start building. Yeah. So it's a it's quite a tedious process, but I think it's a very thorough and a robust process, and it takes away if you would like to do something because it's just nice. It trips yeah. itself up. Prove it. To, that so you have to prove, is it value for money? Yeah. Is it affordable? And what are you doing with the risk? How is the risk being taught? Okay. And looking back now through this journey over many years, close to two decades, what are the main, not, not even main, perhaps three top of your mind lessons that you can share about running a project of this magnitude? Look, I think there's there's a lot of gates that you have to go through. Mm. The first gate is the environmental impact assessment. Mm. So uh, it's something that can trip you up. It's something which is very time-consuming. Um, in, in the case of GoTrain 1, we had uh, about 14,000 registered interest and affected parties. Uh, they get divided into either a locality or interest groups. Mm. We had 147 meetings at night with these interest groups. And uh, that took us three years, and it was it was really a major task. But I think in our country, there's an absolute obsession about public participation, about talking to the people. Mm-hmm. I think it comes from our history where we didn't talk to the people at all. Yeah, and and, and it's now actually uh, gone. The pendulum has swung yeah. to the other side. So so you if you ignore that part. You do it at your own peril. Mm-hmm. So it'll trip you up down this way. So yeah. the EIA is something that you really have to put your mind to it and, and, and really run it properly. So that's the first part. The second part is the composition of the of the PPP, what what is in and what is out. Mm-hmm. This show train that we ran, the first one, I think it's it's about as complex as you can go with with, with the PPP. So in the new show train two, we are thinking of stripping out the a major engineering works to, to do that separately mm-hmm. and then have a different contract to do just the electrical and mechanical work and then actually the trains and the stations okay. and operating it. So, so that the other thing that we've learned is the whole question of how do you how do you handle dispute resolution? Yeah. In our country there's actually three things that you can do. You can have a mediator and uh, it's a quick 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 fix and they don't really bother much about the legal side of it, and I think the risk is too big, so yeah. that you can't do. Mm. The second possibility is to go to the Arbitration Foundation of South Africa, and we've thought that was the way we should go. Yeah. Um, I will not do it again. I think it's uh, it's also a system that we thought it would be fast, but it ended up being slow. Mm. And then the third possibility is to go to the normal court of law, mm. to go to the Supreme Court. Um, there we have a situation where you go to the Supreme Court, then you can go to the Supreme Court of Appeal, and then you can go to the Constitutional Court. So you can actually also stretch it quite things. But you really have to apply your mind on, on how do you how do you structure a dispute resolution process. That's about, look, I think on the civil design stuff, there's stuff that you, you know, you if you have to cut costs, you mustn't cut the fundamental geometric design that you have. Yeah. If, if I could do Gautrain 1 again, I'd most probably make the stations longer so that I could take three trains, the 12 carriages yeah. instead of eight, stuff like that. But uh, yeah. otherwise, I think we, we, we did quite well.
Okay. You actually touched on the, the next question I was going to ask you, that you've had many delegations coming in to the How Train Management Agency on a monthly basis to ask you, how did you do it? Why is it working so well? And I was going to ask you to just give us the one thing that you think you could have done differently, and you touched on the dispute resolution matter. Is there anything else that you can well, think you of? Well, you know, I, I have a book that I write my notes in, and at the yeah. back of the book I write things that I'll do differently yeah. if I have to do it again. Um, my books are half full from the back, from the back end. So there's a lot of things, a lot of <laughs> stuff. I mean, in terms of the negotiations, yeah. you know, you, uh, you negotiate with international companies. Sure. And, uh, you know, what they did is that we were negotiating for 13 months and uh, they would bring a team that negotiate with me yeah. and my team. And then after two weeks, they say, but now they're going home because they have to go back to their families. And mm. I was really sympathetic, but mm. all they did, they just sent in a fresh team. And we, you know, I could never say, I'm gonna take two weeks off, I'm going to my family because I live here. You know? yeah. So yeah. so, so they, they really, they have every trick in the book yeah. to, to slip you up. Because it's a, um, one thing about a PPP, it's 100,000 pages, but there's only one line saying, I'll do all of this at, a, at this amount. So yeah. the amount is fixed, yeah. and you can't actually unpack that amount. So they try and put everything, all the risks onto, onto the client. Yeah, okay. And um, the lessons that we've learned over the years, how are these then factored into the planned extensions and expansions? Yeah, uh, they, they, there's one fundamental point of departure if you if you have a train and or a heavy rail system and you pay a patronage guarantee so you are really um, the moment you say oh, I will pay a patronage guarantee it means that if the trains are not clean and they lose passengers you will pay more patronage guarantee so you yeah. all of a sudden get involved in all the systems mm. that the concessionaire has mm. when we when we did the train we had Partnership UK, which is a PPP unit of the British government, they were our consultants. Yeah. And they kept on saying, pay an availability fee. In Paris, RATP that runs the underground system, they get an availability fee. So they have nothing to do with sales of tickets or with passengers. They yeah. just have to have so many trains available at this time running on their schedule. So we are seriously considering to have an availability fee in our, in our tender. So that's a, yeah. a fundamental departure um, out of what we do. And then <clears throat> the way we structure the PPP yeah. uh, would be the change. And then again, the dispute resolution. Jack, thank you very much. We've come to the end of our interview. It's been quite insightful. Do you have any last uh, words or parting shots before we conclude? Uh, come in, I think the reason why the train is a success is that we had an incredible team. And I think a lot, of, a lot of that has got to do with the greenfields. It's a challenge. You know, yeah. we, we opened an office in, in, in London. We brought back 51 engineers that had gone overseas. Yeah. And they just came back because of the challenge. You know, it's a challenge to work on the project. So I think that is, that's what makes it exciting. Uh, it makes it a high risk because everything is green fields, but, yeah. but the fact that you, you're working on a, a project that, that'll change the landscape of the country. You know, I'll, I'll never forget, we were drawn into saying the train must be 
there for the Soccer World Cup. <laughs> and uh, so we, we had to open the train in time for the soccer. So mm. on, the, on the 8th of June 2010, we ran the trains for yeah. the first time. And the 11th of June, the Soccer World Cup started. So we were yeah. three days early. Yeah. But on the 8th of June, we, we stood at uh, in Santon. Mm. And uh, 20 past five was the first train. And on the platform were 20 people with uh, their bags. And they were going to to the airport to fly out. So yeah. this was part of their working routine. You yeah. know? And, and that's why I, I realized that you know, it, it's something that becomes part of the fabric. It becomes yes. part of the urban fabric in, and that uh, if you have to go somewhere, you jump on the train and uh, it, it's dependable and it's reliable. Thank you very much, uh, Jack. We appreciate your time. You've been listening to Mr. Jack van der Merwe, the CEO of Gauw Train Management Agency, talking about the planned extensions and expansions project. To listen to this and more material on the Gauw Train, please follow us on our Twitter and our website, gautrain.co.za. Thank you.